In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to start with you by doing something that I, I hope isn't new to you. I hope it's a regular part of your Bible reading habits and, and practice. Uh, I want to start by having us imagine ourselves in our reading for today. You know, I, I think that a healthy biblical imagination is a wonderful thing, uh, maybe even a necessary thing in order to, to kind of mine the depths of what God has to say to us. Um, and, and so I, I hope that you often use your imagination when you're reading. Now, we want to be careful, right? We, we don't just let our imaginations run wild. We, we, we guide ourselves along, our imaginations along by the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. We ask for God to guide us and, and we use things like history to help inform our imaginations. And we also need to be careful because I think it's our, our tendency to imagine ourselves as the hero of every story, and uh, that's not meant to be the case. But again, I, I do think that a healthy biblical imagination just can add so much to our understanding, especially for those of us who have read some of the stories of Jesus over and over and over again. I think a healthy biblical imagination can add some freshness to that and, and to see things we never saw before. And so I'd like for us to imagine together today. In particular, we're going to imagine a couple of scenarios. And the first one is I would like for us to imagine ourselves as one of the, the 12 apostles, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And I want us to imagine ourselves today as Simon. And not Simon Peter. You might know a lot about him. He's probably the most well-known of Jesus' apostles. But I actually mean another Simon. You might not have even known there was another Simon, which could make it hard to imagine him. But I want us to imagine ourselves all as Simon the Zealot. Uh, if you don't know much about Simon the Zealot, it's because, well, we're not told much about him. Uh, we're told that uh, he was one of the twelve and that he was a zealot. Uh, and that word zealot, I think it, it meant back then in Jesus' day, some of what it meant today, right? When we call someone zealous, especially religiously zealous, we, we mean that they're somewhat fanatical, right? They go above and beyond what the average religious person would do. They're, they're very committed, right? They have certain practices and habits that, that most people just don't do. So it might be that they, they're, they're very obedient to the teachings of their faith, or they're devoted to the, the readings of the scriptures or, or prayers or, or in, in acts of generosity. And all of that would have been true of someone like Simon. Uh, but that word zealot for Simon was more than just an adjective that, describing his faith. Uh, these zealots, the zealots, they were actually an informal group of people. It wasn't a club where you had to sign your name on something to be a member, but it was this informal group of people, the zealots. And they were known for two things, I suppose. One, that they were zealous for the faith. Uh, zealous for the laws of God and their teachings. They wanted to, to hold on to that. They thought it was so important to follow the ways of God. They were zealous in that. But they were also zealous against the Romans. You might know that in Jesus' day, the land of Israel had, had been taken over and occupied by, by this foreign land called the, the Romans. And, and, and the zealots didn't like that, as, as you might imagine, right? They didn't like the fact that these foreigners had come in and changed their ways of life and threatened the, the ways of following God, imposed all of these rules and sanctions and, and taxes, right? They saw this as a severe threat not to be taken lightly. There were some Jews in Jesus' day that, that were willing to kind of cooperate with the Romans, who thought, you know, if we play nice and go along with a few things, put up with a little, then, then life will be easier for us. But the zealots were like, no way, right? We are not cooperating. They're the enemy. We're not going to give in for a second, right? And, 
And so they were zealous against the Romans, and, and they were even willing to do whatever it took, right? Uh, even to the point of violence, right? They were willing to fight physically back against the Romans. They, they were known in some cases for carrying around swords or, or daggers uh, to be used at convenient times. And so imagine that you are Simon the Zealot, and you've recently come to follow Jesus. You see that he is the Messiah that you have been zealously waiting for. And, and one day you're walking with Jesus and the other disciples and you're passing in between one region to another region in Israel. And when you do that, in that time, you have to pay a tax. Just as you might drive down the highway today and have to pay a, a toll. In Jesus' day, that there was a tax that was collected when you passed from region to region, a tax collected by the Romans. And... Uh, this is frustrating, maybe even infuriating for you as Simon the Zealot for a couple reasons. Uh, one, because maybe you can remember a time when you could travel across your homeland, right? The land that God gave you and your people. You could remember a time when you were able to do that freely. No tax was collected. And now here's, here's Rome taking your hard-earned money. I mean, that's a little frustrating. Uh, but on top of that, these tax collectors, they stood for everything you were against. Right? Uh, most of these tax collectors, as is the case we think with Levi, they were Jews. Right? So they're one of your people. But now they've sold themselves out. They're traitors. They've betrayed their own people and they're working for the enemy. Right? They're taking the, the hard-earned money of, of fellow Jews, their brothers and sisters, and giving it to Rome and also pocketing some for themselves. So again, here, you're Simon the Zealot and you've Come to this toll booth. You've got to give your money away. You're not happy about that. And now here's this guy, Levi, who kind of stands for everything that you're against, right? He's, he's like problem number one of what's wrong with your own people and how they've sold themselves out and betrayed and, and, and cooperated with Rome. And, and then there are the coins, the coins that would have been used at a, a toll booth like this that you would have had to hand over and would have been given back to you. Uh, uh, here's one such Coin on, on the on the left there, you can see that there's an image of the Roman emperor, right? And again, he's standing for everything that's wrong. Uh, the emperors in, in Jesus' day, they 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 gave themselves titles like divine son of God or savior of the people, right? They they were putting themselves in the position that you thought belonged to to God, to the true God, and and that's a problem for you, right? You don't like that. And then on the other side of the coin, you can see, and it might be a little hard to make out, but uh, there's a Roman soldier. You can see he's got his foot up. He's kind of stomping on something, pushing something, in this case, someone down. And uh, that person who is under the foot of the Roman soldier is actually a Jewish man. Imagine for a second, again, you're Simon the Zealot. Imagine how infuriating this is. This coin is this ever-present reminder that you are living underneath the foot of the Romans, that you are under their control. You are not your own. You are not free, uh, but you have been overtaken. I mean, this, again, is infuriating. And so when you pass by this, this toll booth or this tax collector using these coins, right, you're, you're probably cursing it all under your breath. And you're hoping just to kind of move on after you pay the tax to, to leave this behind. And yet here's Jesus. As, as you walk with him, after paying the tax, he, he's lingering. He's talking to this tax collector, and you hope that he's giving him the business, but you find out later that he's not, that, that Jesus is actually welcoming this tax collector in. And you can't make sense out of it, but Jesus has, has offered Levi a spot in one of the twelve. 
He's offered to make him a part of the family. Jesus wants you now to call Levi brother and, and, and sit next to you at the dinner table. Imagine, I mean, at the very least, this is disorientating. It, it kind of goes against everything you thought you knew, everything you thought was right as a zealot, as a good Jewish man. But I, I, I think it's probably more than that. It's probably infuriating. Like, why would Jesus welcome a man like this into your family? Doesn't Jesus know he's the enemy? He doesn't belong. And yet here he is. All right, now we're going to imagine another scenario, a similar one, though, uh, now I want us all to imagine ourselves as, as one of uh, Jesus' other disciples. And you could choose to imagine yourself as another apostle, so maybe Peter or, or, or John, or, or just uh, another disciple of Jesus. We know that Jesus had other disciples who weren't the 12. In fact, at one point, Jesus sends 72 of them out into, uh, into the world, the known world there, to, to share the good news of Jesus. So you could be one of those 72. Or you could choose to imagine yourself as one of the women who followed Jesus, uh, we know that in, in particular, there's a small group of women who had been blessed financially and who, who blessed Jesus financially. And it was their financial generosity that allowed Jesus to leave behind a life of carpentry and, and, and to continue his ministry, right? in large part, thanks to these women. So you can imagine yourself as one of them. Uh, again, I, you're just imagining yourself as a follower of Jesus who has been brought in and... Uh, I think you're probably thinking to yourself that you can't believe it, right? It's all still too good to be true. You wake up every morning just like, wow, uh, what have I found myself in? You're pouring yourself a cup of coffee and you can barely believe that Jesus chose you, right? And you just kind of wake up each day wondering, what is Jesus going to do today? Like each day just keeps getting better than the next. You're seeing the most amazing things, miracles, healings, uh, uh, demons being cast out. You, you listen to the most amazing sermons. And, 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 and as time goes on, you just have this deep realization as a disciple of Jesus that you don't deserve this spot, right? You don't deserve to be able to be so close to Jesus, to share meals with him and listen to him and and, and so while you have this deep sense of gratitude, uh, you, you also want to kind of prove yourself, right? That you deserve this. Uh, maybe another way of, of putting it is you, you want to show your faithfulness and, and your commitment and, and show that you don't take this for granted, right? And so every time Jesus says something, you listen. And every time he asks you to do something, you do it. Uh, you are 100% in, right? You, you spend late nights trying to discern what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself like practically how can i do that today and, and how to love god with all my heart mind soul and, and strength i mean you take your faith seriously and and you're grateful for your spot in the family but you you also kind of want to earn your keep and then one day uh, you've you've sat down to dinner and you, you, you know most of the faces, right? Peter's there, John's there, the other women are there beside you. But all of a sudden at this meal, there are a whole lot of new people there. And, and it's like these spots that are so precious to you at the table and these, these places in God's family. It's like the doors have been flung open and now these spots are given out like candy. And all of a sudden there are these faces that you don't recognize. People who have never been at Jesus' sermons, right? Who, who haven't showed any interest in following him around. Suddenly Jesus is welcoming them in, right? And, and some of these people maybe you do recognize, right? There are a few other tax collectors that you've had to pay that you despise. There are some other sinners, and when we hear that word in the Bible, sinners, what we should picture is con men, 
right? Con artists. Uh, what we should pic picture are those telemarketers who prey on the confused or, or the elderly. Uh, we should picture mob bosses, right? Thieves, uh, criminals, right? Uh, Jesus is welcoming these people in to eat with him. Uh, he's welcoming them into the family. He's giving them spots next to you. Right? And you're wondering, like, what did these people do to deserve this, right? Are they going to are they gonna pay their keep, right? Are they fully committed? Does Jesus even know if, if they're going to obey? They haven't proved themselves yet. Are they going to be generous and, and pull their weight around here, right? So many questions. I mean, on the one hand, you know that, that Jesus has been teaching and talking uh, about this all-inclusive love and welcome of the gospel, but it's a whole other thing when the rubber meets the road. And you're sitting next to a, a criminal or someone who, who conned your mom out of money, right? It's a whole another story. I, I think we can maybe pause our imaginations. Don't turn them off, but uh, we're, we're done imagining for a minute. It's pretty clear what Jesus is doing today, right? In, in welcoming in Levi and sitting and eating with tax collectors and, and sinners, he's, he's breaking down boundaries, the, the boundaries that, that, that people had made in his day of, of who was in the family and, and who was out, the, the boundaries that, that kept others away, Jesus is knocking those boundaries down. And, and this was scandalous to the people in Jesus' day, particularly to, to, to people like the Pharisees. The Pharisees was a, another informal group of people, religious teachers, and we're, we're not quite sure, not 100% positive where that name Pharisee came from, but the word seems to be very closely related to a Hebrew word meaning separate ones. That is that the Pharisees were a group of people who had chosen to separate themselves, right? In order to keep themselves pure and holy. They, they didn't want to defile themselves by spending a lot of time amongst Gentiles and Romans or even other like non-practicing Jews. So they were separate, right? In order to remain and, and keep their Jewish identity, to remain pure and holy. And, and here is Jesus who is not separating himself at all, right? who is mingling with all sorts of unclean, impure people, people that that they had kept out, right? People who were very, very clearly on the outside of, of the boundaries of who belonged in God's family. And, and Jesus just knocks those boundaries over. It's amazing what he does. Uh, imagine what that must have been like. I, I think maybe a good example for us to start to wrap our minds around it today, a, a good kind of like modern day way of thinking about it is, uh, imagine if uh, one day you got an email from a, a church friend. And you see there's an attachment to the email and they've written just like a quick line, right? They're like, you won't believe who I caught Pastor Peter having coffee with, right? And so you open up the picture and you look and there's a big table and there I am and, and, and I'm laughing with all of these people and I got a Bible out. We're obviously having a good time though and some of the people you don't recognize but some you do, right? There's a guy who was in the, the newspaper last month uh, for conning people out of their money, right? Praying on the elderly. And, and then over here you, you see uh, someone who's been on the FBI's top 10 most wanted. And, and here I am eating with them. Right? And you're like, well, why has Pastor Peter never invited me out to, to, to coffee? And who does he think he is uh, eating with these kinds of people? They don't deserve it. I mean, I've been to church every Sunday and I say my prayers and I've given to church and, and he's going to go spend time with them? You know, that might start to get at what it would have been like in Jesus' day to have him break down these boundaries. 
The, the truth is we, we continue to build boundaries today. And, and we think that they give us security. We think that they make things neat and tidy. But all they end up doing is keeping people away. See, Jesus has come to break down the boundaries, to welcome in all people, especially those who are far off. And, and that makes the church a messy place, right? We can't necessarily look around with our eyes and say, that person's in and, and that person's out. That person will, will never get in and, and that person will certainly never leave, right? The church is a messy, messy place. We can't see with our eyes who belongs. But it's also a beautiful place. It's a place of belonging. It's a place of love. It's a place of welcome. And so we're going to be challenged by a reading for today and, and just by God's view of his family and who belongs in the church. We're going to be challenged, right? It, it's challenging to, to look out into the world and see those people that we might despise or those people that we have given up on or those people we never think w w should belong, right? And, and we are challenged today to see them as a brother or sister. We are challenged to chase after them just like Jesus did with Levi and to say, come here. There's a place for you. Come sit next to me, brother or sister. I think our reading for today also challenges us if we have been finding security in all of these man-made boundaries. right? If we think we belong because we were born into the church and we have a long history of parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who are so faithful and we think to ourselves, well, I, I must belong. Look at my lineage. Or if we think that we belong because of our church attendance or, or because of our obedience or our generosity, right? then we're challenged today. Because none of those things are what make us a part of God's family. No, it's all about Jesus. If we have founded our security on anything other than him, then we've missed the mark. Today's passage is meant to kind of shake things up, see God's family, the church, in a whole new way. But it's also meant to comfort us, I think. Because there are, are, are times, maybe you're there today, I think all of us have been at one point or another, when, when we have questioned whether we belong. Right? We can point to other people and say, yeah, I know they belong here in, in God's family. They, they're here at church every Sunday, and they're so generous, and they're, they always have a smile on their face and something nice to say, and, and I know that their prayers are, are so beautiful, right? They're, they're in. But me, I don't know, right? Giving for me is, is hard, and, and, and reading my Bible is a chore, and, and, and I've slept through a whole lot of Sundays. I, I don't know if I'm worthy to be here, and, and God's message today is, yes, you belong, right? no matter how far off you, you think you've wandered, Jesus has chased after you. That's why he came into this world, to chase after us. That's why he went to the cross and, and rose from the tomb so that we might always and forever have a place in his family. Jesus has knocked down those borders and those boundaries and he has wrapped us in his arms and welcomed us in, welcomed you in. Life in God's church and his family, it, it is messy. And it's not always easy, but it is our home. And it's where we belong. And, and it is sure and certain. Not because of what we've done for God, but what, because of what he has done for us. He has welcomed us in. He's welcomed you in, dear friends, forever and always. In Jesus' name.